If you will stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> when we come to this day, as, as Matt made mention earlier, it's a wonder that we call it Good Friday, when really, as far as Jesus is concerned, nothing good happened. It was an evil day, a bad day. And this passage opens up to us more than we ever have seen or noticed before. When we think today about evil and evil times, I'm often reminded of war and atrocities that are done to innocent people. I was reminded recently, we think about all the things that are going on in Burma or Miramar, and I remembered that great book that was written and then a movie by a man named David Lean called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. In that story, over 12,000 Allied soldiers died in one year building a railroad from Burma to Thailand. Great uh, illness 
and death, punishment, torture, and yet great stories of courage are seen in, in the movie, if you've ever watched The Bridge Over the River Kwai. But there was another book written by a man named Ernest Gordon, and it was called The Miracle on the River Kwai. And he tells something not so much about what happened to the prisoners, but he talks about what happened in the prisoners. And he tells a particular story where one day, after a long day of digging with shovels, they had to turn in every shovel, and every shovel had to be accounted for by the guards. And at the end of that day, there was one shovel missing. And one of the Japanese commanders came out, grabbed a soldier, pulled out his pistol, and said, whoever has that shovel, if you don't come forward, this man's gonna die. And then I'll keep killing every one of you until we find out who has that shovel. Everyone is petrified, but a man steps forward and says, I did it. Everyone is astounded. The guard grabbed him, picked up another shovel, and beat him to death in front of all of them. They carried the bloody corpse back, they had to recount the shovels, and when they did, they discovered that there had been a miscount. There was no shovel missing. And this man had stepped forward, totally innocent, and offered his life for all the other soldiers. Wow. Grabs your heart but it grabbed their hearts. And the miracle occurred right then and there. Every soldier began to realize the value of every life. And they began to band together in love for one another as brothers. So much so that when the Allies captured the area, came in, took over from the Japanese guards, and stood all the guards in front of the captor, the, those captured. Those captured said they had no hate, but they wanted to forgive. That's how much their hearts had been changed because of one man who offered his life for all the rest. When we come to this story, we find in the book of Isaiah, this is the height of everything that happened in eternity past to eternity future. This is the peak that separates all of human history 
And this is the Old Testament picture of what happened. Paul refers to this in Ephesians 3 when he says, it has been given to me to preach the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ according to the eternal purpose, there it is, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose planned in eternity past in the councils of the Trinity was accomplished with this event that we celebrate this day. Peter almost quotes it verbatim in his letter in his first chapter. It's a complete summary of the Messiah, Jesus' life. When you look at the chapters as a whole, verses one through three speak of his life and his birth. Verses seven to nine speak of this trial and his death. And then verses 10 through 12 speak of his victory and his triumph. But then caught right in the middle, verses four through six, speaks about the why. This chapter holds the most familiar passages for many of us about the suffering of Christ. Yesterday, Robbie introduced to us this suffering section. And as I began to meditate on this section to think about it, because there's so much in it, I was never so captured by how much suffering is mentioned in this one chapter. It began to make me sense, wow, there's something in depth here about the suffering of Christ that I haven't paid attention to. In Robbie's section in the first three verses, there are three things that he mentions. There are over 21 negatives mentioned about Christ in 10 verses. 21 negatives. If you'll look in your bulletin and follow along, we're gonna walk through these so that you feel the weight of what happened on this day and why it was so incredibly amazing for us to grasp. Walk with me through them as bulletins. If you have a pencil, you might underline. In this section, we find this. We find these words. Born our griefs, carried our sorrows, no esteem, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, chastised, scourged, carried our wounds, uh, uh, our, uh, our turning away from him, oppressed, afflicted, oppressed, judged, cut off, stricken, made, in a, a, made for a grave with the wicked, crushed. You see all of these things that are here. Let me walk through these slowly with you as you begin to see what these things mean. Not in your bulletin, but as Robbie gave us yesterday, in verse two, we're told that he was unattractive 
And that goes totally against what Hollywood has always shown us of the Christ. It says there was no stately form or majesty ascribed to him. No attraction, no attractive appearance. In other words, he was particularly not handsome. We don't really understand that, but it seems like that God got him started on the most average and below average from the standpoint of appearance in this life. So the people didn't even like the way he looked. He was despised, it's mentioned twice in verse three. He was despised, he was even called a country hick from a nothing town and an insignificant family and even a suspicious birth and he was looked down upon. Even his brothers and sisters thought that he might have been mentally off. They wanted to put him away. His own hometown rejected him. Who is this man? We know his family. How in the world does he have any kind of wisdom? It's a derogatory statement about Christ. And even the religious leaders we know rejected him because of who he was, where he was from, that he had nothing to offer. He knew sorrow, it says. He knew loss. He had lost his father when he was young. He had to take over the leadership of the home. He experienced disappointment of the unacceptance. We don't know all of the grief that his early life went through, but we certainly know that as the divinity that's within him, he saw the sin in people's lives. He saw all those around them. He saw the selfishness. He saw the meanness. He saw the hate. He saw that in people, and he bore that knowing that it wasn't supposed to be. It says he had no esteem, no value attributed to him, and he had none with those he grew up with with maybe the exception of his mother. But this is why then, when we begin in verse four, that he can actually say, because of what he has already suffered in the first 30 years of his life, and then in verse four in our passage, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sufferings. You see, he understood the grief that every person experiences because he'd experienced it. He understood the sorrows that everyone goes through with loss and pain. He understood it. And then it says he carried those. It literally says he took them up and took them on for himself. He understood it. And he, these words actually speak of words that are used of illness and sickness. He saw the illness of the soul, the sin in people, and he had compassion. Sin always brings pain and suffering. And yet the people gave him no esteem. In other words, they never understood why he went to the cross. They were simply following the crowd, there to see what would happen 
He claimed all these things. Let's see if he's going to do anything unusual and what have you. But they had been told he claimed to be the Son of God, and so therefore he is smitten and afflicted by God. He's getting what he deserved. That's the attitude of the crowd. But now verse 5 tells us the real reason. The real reason was it says he was pierced. He was nailed, but notice what it says, for our transgressions, our breaking of the laws. He was crushed, beaten, not for himself, but for our iniquities, which is that inner evilness of our old nature. And he was chastened or punished so that we would have peace and he had none. And he was scourged, literally whipped, so that we could be healed spiritually. Whenever I think about that scourging, many of you have probably seen that film that was made, The Passion of Christ. It's an amazing film, but a film in which I could really only watch one time because they made this whipping and scourging of Jesus so real. And the guards whipping him in a sense even know he's not guilty. And they beat him mercilessly on his back. And then they turn and look to the guy in charge and he does this. In other words, turn him over, beat him on the front. And you begin to weep at how much he was beaten, scourged, whipped for us. Verse 6, we all know well, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. In other words, we have ignored the call of the shepherd. We have ignored his voice. We've turned to our way and not his. And then he says, but the father loaded on him all of our iniquity. He bore that, it was loaded on him. A young friend of mine once who liked math so Peter says, have you ever thought about sin? He said, you know, if we just sin three times a day, we thought something and dwelt on it and worried about it and we knew we shouldn't have. We said something unkind, we wished we could have taken it back. And we did something we know wasn't in the best interest of others. Just three times a day. A hundred a month, over a thousand a year. And Pete, by the time you turn 30, you will have 30,000 infractions of God's law. When you turn 50, you will have over 50,000 offenses to a holy God. And then you multiply that by the billions of people who have lived, 
I can't even do that math. And it says the Lord put all of that on him. No wonder, as we read earlier, that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the blackness of what was between him and the Father at that moment was all of the sins that every one of us and every person who's ever lived was placed. It says all of them were placed on him. And he bore that on this day. Verse 7, he's oppressed. When they took him away, the armed guards rough-handled him. There it is, afflicted again. And yet it says, he never complained. He never complained. He accepted everything that came to him. In verse 8, he was oppressed and judged, and the idea here is that by the judicial system, he was put through an illegal trial, totally outside all the laws of the established day, at nighttime, no other witnesses, nothing in his favor, and then he's placed in a pit. And it's very likely that the place that we visit today in Israel Caiaphas, his home, that deep dungeon pit is still there and is dark and dank. And he was cut off from anybody and everything that he knew and left alone there overnight. In verse 9, it says that he was assigned a grave with the wicked. And what does that mean? We we failed to remember what they had intended to do with the body of Jesus was to take it with the other criminals and dump it in a trench, throw lime on top of it and cover it over and it would be unmarked and no one would even know where it was. There was no ceremony, nothing said, just a bloody, dirty, dead body and they were just gonna dump it. except God intervened. And a man named Joseph, Joseph steps up and says, I'll, I'll take the body and puts him in his tomb. Twenty things Jesus bore throughout his life. All in these verses. And it all came together in this final death that he had on the cross for us. Why all this pain? Why all this suffering? A very surprising answer in verse 10. God did it. The Father did it. The father was pleased to crush him. How could that be? How could that be? How could those very words be true? But notice it says, when he had satisfied the, the guilt offering, 
The father was pleased. Why? Because his promises were fulfilled. His will had been accomplished. His justice had been satisfied. And all the future plans of what will happen next were set in motion. That's what divides eternity past to eternity future. All on this day. We even find, we're told in Scripture, that Jesus was satisfied. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we're told in this passage, what was the joy set before him? The joy set before him as shown in this passage is number one is now he would see the fruit of the cross. He would see everyone else now who trusted in what he did on the cross as the fruit and offspring of his ministry that his church would grow. It says that he would live forever. His days would be prolonged. Now he moves forward as still fully human. Jesus is still fully human. He never lost his humanity. There's a human in heaven, (laughs) but fully God. And his days are prolonged forever because he conquered death. And it says to prosper, to bless this family. The blessings that we receive are all because of the pain that he endured. And as Ephesians says to us, we have been given every spiritual blessing. Every, whatever that all means. We know at the moment of salvation, 33 things happen to us in the Bible. 33 things happen to us that are ours. And that's just the beginning. But that's all become ours. And then isn't it wonderful that it ends and he intercedes for transgressions. Because it's, for us, it's not complete yet. For him it is, but he still intercedes for us in the things that we still suffer because he understands. He's been there. He knows what it is. There's nothing he hasn't experienced that you've experienced. That's what makes him the perfect high priest. At the end of Paul's great list of what Christ accomplished for us in Romans 8, sometimes called the golden chain, he asked this question, what then shall we say about these things. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over for us all, how will he not also with him in heaven 
freely give us all things. And I'm not even sure I fully understand what all that means. But I know it means a lot. Are you filled, am I filled with a greater sense of awe of what this day accomplished? Everything the Savior did for us, we thank you. Thank you, Isaiah, for writing all this that would come true. Help us to ponder this now as we pray silently. These things all accomplished in our behalf. Amen.